It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world to tell you how they saw the news from the past month. This is episode number 59 for September 2015. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is a show where we get together from diff different people from different countries, different culture, and we talk about what's been happening in the past couple of, well, the past month, really. Uh, and we try to get different perspectives on the same story so we kind of learn uh, how other people think about the things that we think we've got completely figured out. Hopefully, we'll manage to do a little bit of that today. Uh, my name is Patrick Beja. I'm from France, and I am joined by two returning guests. Uh, one is, uh, I'm going to start with the one closest to me physically. I'm guessing Pierre or Piotr or Pierre from Russia. How's it going, Pierre? Hey, it's going quite fine. It's a beautiful sunset here. So you told me you just came back from your vacation. Um, mm -hmm. Where where do Russian people go for vacation? Uh, well, since uh, the ruble is so cheap, it's uh, much more popular to stay in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly or go to countries that accept rubles as payment. Oh, do the former uh, Union countries still accept no. rubles? Oh. Uh, not all of them. Well, none of them, actually. <laughs> uh, but the unrecognized republics of uh, Abkhazia ah. and Southern uh, Ossetia do. I see. All right. So you were staying within the, uh, how do you call it, the zone of influence uh, of Russia, I guess. I, I guess they call it that. Uh, <laughs> Georgians still think we occupy that place. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, and so thank you for being back on the show. Um, and we also have a, a good friend of mine who's returning after years of absence. Um, but I figured it was time that we got a conservative voice on the show because we're always uh, liberals on, on this show, including Americans. They're mostly to the left side of the aisle. So I figured now was the time to have a real strong American Eagle conservative voice. And so I called Brian. How's it going, a real Brian? American, you mean, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, very glad to have you on the show. Um, I hope you will excuse my um, characterization of your political opinions, uh, but you are more of a conservative, right? You're, you're, so I'm going to... Yes. <laughs> right, you, you're confirming this. 
Oh, very much so, yeah. I I will prove this beyond any shadow of a doubt to anyone listening uh, because I can tell them that when I got uh, in the US, maybe the third or fourth time, you were there. It was for uh, Nerdtacular, the Nerdtacular convention a few years ago, and you took me to a shooting range. And I think if that doesn't prove that you are a conservative person, then nothing will. And we went shooting and everything. I was terrified, but I did it. Very proud of myself. So there oh, you, you were go. terrified. Oh, you did a good job. I thought uh, I thought you did a great job. You and Terpster, you were ready to fight the zombies. That was for sure. <laughs> that, that was basically our zombie training. And we did okay. I mean, if those paper targets had been zombies, they would have been like completely dead, dead. So definitely, you definitely. You you were both giving Rick a, a run for his run for his money. So, <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. Um, we're going to be covering a bunch of things today. Um, first of all, uh, I want to talk about the migrant situation in Europe again, but I'm not going to talk too much. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to tell us how um, it's been regarded in your countries because we talked about it so much last uh, episode. I don't want to go over all of this again. Um, we're also going to be talking about uh, the Republican candidates. And hopefully, Brian, you can explain the mystery that is Donald Trump to us. Um, and maybe we're going to be talking about uh, Hillary as well. And uh, Piotr, uh, should I call you Peter or Pierre or Piotr? I'm, I'm not sure. Call me whatever. Well, I guess it's more easy for you to call me Pierre. Okay, well, uh, we'll we'll go with Pierre then. Um, sorry, because yeah, you you have two names actually, or something. Um, because your your official name is Pierre, because you weren't really. Uh, it wasn't very easy for you to be called Pierre because of War and Peace and everything back then. That's how you told me, right? Yes, sort of. Sort of. Okay. Mm. Okay. All right. I thought you were going to explain. Never mind. <laughs> well, I, I can explain if it is required. Um, there was uh, a criminal offense in Soviet Russia uh, called uh, bowing before the West and giving uh, children Western names was sort of in it. Ah, so that's why even though you were named after... Uh, right. And Okay. I see. That's That's... Interesting, actually. I didn't quite understand that when you first explained it to me. It's, ah, it, you know, I think we might need to do an entire episode on Soviet Russia uh, at some point. I think that might be interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the um, special episodes at the end of this one because I want to uh, start doing things with that uh, concept with the, this show. I'm going to try and develop it a little bit further, but I'll talk about that later. Uh, and Pierre, you were saying that you wanted to talk about Syria, and uh, certainly there is some um, debate about Russia's involvement there, so I think it's going to be interesting as well. But first... Uh, linked to Syria, but not exactly that. Um, the migrants crisis in Europe is still uh, very much happening. And I guess the thing that happened since last time was that uh, Angela Merkel uh, in Germany said, uh, we have to be humane and we have to open the borders and it doesn't matter how much, you know, how many people are there. We just have to do it because it's our duty as people. And she was applauded everywhere in, in Europe. And she was uh, uh, 
basically showing the way, according to a lot of um, uh, journalists, and showing how Europe should behave, and what we had been doing until now was shameful. And I think it, she she raised a lot of enthusiasm. Um, for being more generous with our uh, welcoming of those uh, refugees. And uh, the, the terrible thing was that basically a week later, she had to close down the borders, uh, putting it in jeopardy, not in jeopardy, but basically in spite of the Schengen uh, Accords, which say that um, there are no borders within basically Europe, uh, within the Schengen zone. Um, and she had to close the borders because there were too many uh, refugees showing up in Germany and they didn't have enough infrastructure to to accommodate them. Um, so that was sort of an emotional uh, humanitarian roller coaster. And the, the result is that we still don't really know how to deal with that issue. Um, there are still people who are saying... We should be uh, more compassionate in the way we approach the issue. And there are still people who say, well, sure, but how do we do it? And there are people who are like, well, you know, this is unacceptable. We don't have enough bread to feed our own people. I'm paraphrasing, but you, you see the kind of uh, uh, speech and, and uh, discourse this might uh, become. Um, so yeah, things haven't changed all that much after the, the roller coaster I was talking about earlier. Uh, so I'm curious to hear, rather than discuss this from the European point of view again, to hear what you guys uh, have been uh, uh, hearing about it in the media, in the maybe in you know your everyday discussions with your friends. Is it discussed at all? Uh, how is it seen? Um, let's start with Brian, maybe. Okay. Um... It's uh, seen as I'm personally I'm a little surprised with uh, Angela Merkel um, taking that kind of stance. Um, you know, I was stationed in Germany for three years, and uh, they had Turks that were there for many years, and they weren't very well accepted when I was there. So uh, I was really kind of surprised how Angela Merkel uh, did that turnaround, and I'm going to be surprised if the German people overall are going to maintain that warm reception for the years to come well uh, well they already closed the borders so i don't know how warm it's going to be i think there was a little bit of uh, guilt over world war ii it was kind of a redemption play uh genuine i think but uh also there's a very i guess that's a good point there's a very different um uh, uh sentiment towards uh just not refugees, but migrants, you know, immigrants rather than migrants, immigrants in general uh, in Europe and uh, refugees, because there is, a, 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 you know, obviously there war, when you're a war refugee, your status is a lot different than if you're just, you know, things are fine in your country and you're coming in and going in another country. Usually illegally is the, the situation that gets people fired up. Um, but so... Is was that discussed at all in in the U.S.? Was it is it a topic of conversation or is it just too far away and people don't care? Um, no, it's been very well discussed. Um, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal every day, and it's uh, it's in there every day. There's always something about the refugees, and I think we always have to make the distinction between migrants and the refugees. There is a difference uh, in those, and the big thing with the uh, they you know they. John Kerry, our Secretary of State, has uh, indicated they're going to increase the number of 
refugees the U.S. will take in over the next few years up to 100,000. And some people got concerned about that. But it's mostly from not that we don't can't take that many people in as more to do with the uh, security questions about who who we are letting in. You know, are they actually refugees? Are they migrants? Uh, that kind of thing that the security questions, the number one uh, concern, not I don't think is as much. You know, some people raise the, the amount of people. But uh, when you look back in history, when we had the Vietnamese uh, boat people, you know, the U.S. took in uh, over 400,000 uh, of those uh, refugees. So um, I don't think it's the numbers. It's really got to be about the security right now. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of that as well in Europe, where people are concerned about the numbers, but really everything that you know, every serious. Uh, uh, if you look at the question seriously, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, but who are we letting in is also kind of a question being raised um, in in some circles. I think it's a little bit of a red herring. It's kind of a if if uh, you know if basically terrorists is the worry, right, Brian? I'm, I'm guessing that'd be correct. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think it too. I think the I think that you know, they say it's a lot of young men or a lot of men that are being, being the ones that are coming across, and uh, you know, I'd be less concerned about someone when you know a guy with his family, you know, got a wife and kids, you know. Uh, but when you start having all these single guys, of course, then how are you going to vet them? How do you know they're Syrian? How do you know there's a there's a lot of genuine I think there's genuine security questions involved with it. Uh, it's just that, like I said, and then you have to separate the refugees from the migrants. The, yeah, I guess the, the thing is when you you let that many people in, of course, there are going to be some people who are going to take advantage of this. But um, first of all. There is no way to avoid this. So if that is a big enough concern, then I'm guessing you should just not let it. It's not a reason to not let anyone in. Right. And and uh, and if those people are your concern, aren't they going to be able to get in anyway somehow, I would think. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I can. I mean, the the concern is is happening. Well, I think it's France more of a concern in Europe. I mean, it's less so for the states, I would mm -hmm. think, because I mean, they could get in. You know, it is possible they could come in and illegally. I get. You know, but it's you know, yeah, well, it's a little, it's, it's yeah, the a lot same tougher for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's it, but yeah. no, it's the same in France. They can. Yeah, they can come in illegally anyway. So, um, uh, Pierre, what about you guys? Are you concerned about this at all? Oh. Uh. Well, uh, <clears throat> the most common opinion about, uh, in the public about it is a bit of schadenfreude. Uh, uh, explain, please. <laughs> uh, well, it's happiness and the misfortune of others. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that is disturbing, but please go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, to put it simple, uh, Europe in general wasn't too kind towards Russia in the last couple of years, or maybe last couple of, couple of centuries. So when something bad happens to you guys, most people think you've had it coming. Ah, I see. Like, is it, is it like a genuine, uh, you know, that, that serves you right? Or is it more of a, <laughs> well, that's not surprising. Is it like, is there anger in that sentiment? I'm, I'm asking, I'm wondering, or is it just shrugging? 
It depends on the people who say it. Mm. Uh, a bit of both, I guess. Okay. And are you guys discussing the possibility of, of uh, getting refugees in the country or is that not we, even considered? Uh, we are getting some refugees to the country. Uh, at, uh, we are quite suited for that. Uh, we accepted many refugees from Donetsk and Lugansk last year. Rostov uh, region was full of them, right, actually. Right. Many of them now returned back. Many didn't. So, well, we accept those who come, but we do not offer much. So I guess nobody comes. <laughs> you know, that's that's actually something that happened um, with France. At some point, we did open the border. Well, not open the borders, but uh, said we would welcome more people. And there was a couple of articles saying, actually, they don't want to come. They're, they're, they want to go to, to the UK, they want to go to Germany, but in France, the, the rumors and the, the common knowledge is that administratively it's so complicated um, that people just don't want to come. They're like, ah, you know, it, there, there, were, there are ridiculous issues like in order to get your ref war refugee status, you need an address, but in order to get an address, you need your war refugee status. And it's a bunch of things like that that make it so difficult for people to um, figure things out that they don't they don't even want to come. There was like they were going to welcome uh, a few thousand people and they only found 600 willing to come to France from Germany. It was like, uh, what is happening? But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm, ashamed or embarrassed for for friends in that respect but it's definitely a, a head scratching moment when you're like yeah it's all right you guys have had a horrible life and you're you know running away from war come here and we'll take care of you and they're like no nah, it's fine we'll stay in the overcrowded camps in in germany well we're good thank you no thank you but no thank you they're like huh okay Uh, hmm, we're gonna go back and play. Well, it is our... fest season in Germany right now, so why would you leave? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Although well, of, most of them uh, are Muslims and probably not drinking, so. But um... yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> it is accented in our in our media that uh, quite many of those people are actually illegal migrants and not refugees. Um, we had a reporter from some newspaper who bought Syrian passport in Syria for something like $800 and went all the way to Europe, to Switzerland, I guess, to become a registered uh, refugee. Well, it's interesting that the media would accentuate that story because obviously it's possible. I don't think anyone is saying it isn't. Um, I'm not sure, however, how many people would do would choose to do that in the you know how the percentage of those people that are in that situation um given the th there's a lot of um examining of our own guilt in the the process uh and you know to an extent uh the 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 Iraq war is being brought up here and there but not just because of the American involvement although it was you know obviously the the most biggest part of it 
but because of all of our involvement and the fact that we went there and you know messed things up and left and i'm wondering if in 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 that is what created the mess that has resulted in the situation the the region is currently in i'm wondering if that comes up at all uh in the us when talking about the crisis brian oh definitely that uh to say yeah it's an old thing that keeps coming up well it wouldn't be this wouldn't be happening if the us never invaded iraq and it's you know you're kind of like well it, there was an actual gen, you know a genuine revolution or uprising against uh, assad in syria i mean he has been the the old uh, guard i mean he's not much better than his father was you know sure. uh, so you know bashir assad and uh, and the you know and it's funny what i find interesting about Syria is that you know all the other countries and like you look at the 68 war 72 war with Israel you know all the other countries except for Syria have basically kind of made peace with uh, Israel and except for Syria Syria has been holding the, the same hard line that they have been and uh, well and Iran but um but but you know the thing that we're usually saying isn't it isn't in regards to that. It's not like, oh, we shouldn't have gone in. Um, it's more of a, well, we did go in, but then the big mistake was that we left. And and that's kind of surprising. It's like, well, when we left, the country wasn't stable. So I, we really should have stayed longer, but we didn't because it was an unpopular situation. Um, and politically, it was difficult to justify it. So... That's I what a lot of people, like including myself, say. It's it's we sh there should have been a status. They call it the status of forces agreement. Should have been made with uh, Iraq, and uh, you know had a couple bases there uh, for the U.S. forces and and air forces, land forces and air forces, because the uh, you know Assad was getting he was getting supplies and troops from uh, flown from Iran, and they were flying over Iraq, and Iraq really couldn't really do anything about it but if we had had a base there you know we could have nipped it in the bud they could have done air you know air operations reinforced uh iraqi troops town you know giving them you know uh giving them so the support they would have needed to uh you know take out isis before it became too big and uh got out of hand which is what has happened I think that the next uh, issue now that is that people are talking about with the immediate issue is definitely the the you know refugees and the secondary issue which should be the primary one is what are we going to do about ISIS because obviously they're being displaced because of the wars uh, happening in the region uh, and a lot of people are arguing that we should just stop the um, uh, you know the politician bullshit and just we need uh, strikes at a minimum airstrikes to uh, counterattack the ISIS actions. Um, so I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but at that point, it's it's getting to the very much to the forefront of the discussions, uh, which brings me before we move on to the Republican candidates. Uh, mystery uh, in the U.S. Uh, brings me to the topic that, uh, Pierre, you wanted to cover, which is Russia's, Russia's involvement in, in Syria, um, which is kind of a... Let me tell you how it's being viewed from here. It's basically satellites and reports are Russia is moving in Syria, and, and uh, Russia's official response is... <coughs> 
I, I, we don't know what you're talking about. We're, everything's normal in, in Syria. So, yeah, nothing to report. So I'm curious how it's, it's uh, being, you know, discussed in the country. Yeah, there's an old song from a Russian movie about Aladdin uh, with the catchphrase, uh, there's everything calm in Baghdad. Okay, <laughs> everything's calm in Baghdad. Yeah, yeah, everything's calm in Baghdad. Uh, well, uh, the official position of Russia is that we only supply Assad with uh, instru uh, military instructors and weaponry. So no troops mm, and well, no, that, no heart. Yeah, that, that is the official position. Um, mm. I have no doubt that there might be some volunteers from. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I like the term volunteers. Sort of, sort of volunteer, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do not think they are being volunteered. Well, most of them. So you think they're genuine volunteers who want to go? So why would they go though? Is I'm I'm guessing it's not to support the the Syrian regime. It's more to fight ISIS, it's, which is getting it, out of yes, hand. Yes, it's it is more to fight ISIS. Uh, uh, Russia is a uh, historically orthodox country, Christian orthodox. Uh, later, after we were invaded by. Tatars and stuff, we had to accept Muslims in between us, but religious tension still exists. Uh, some take it fine, some take it calmly, uh, but of course there are many religious radicals, uh, and I guess fighting ISIS abroad would actually be a uh, morally acceptable and fine uh, way for them to uh, use their zealotry for good. Uh, I'm not sure I get it. Uh, they are Christians. Uh, they. Oh, you mean the, the uh, people who, uh, yes. are, who volunteer well, to go? Well, and... well uh, I guess it is one of the most popular reasons. Uh, there must be Christians who hate Muslims but have no legal rights to go against them except verbally in their own country. Oh, wow. So, so you actually think those, those going to fight in Syria are uh, basically religious zealots, is what you're uh, saying? Yeah, they might be. Mm. Uh, well, uh, volunteers at least, it's the most common cause. Uh, also, there might be people who have suffered from previous teracts uh, in Moscow. Most, uh, all of them have been uh, done by Muslims or said to be done by Muslims. Right. So basically, they're, they're going to fight terrorism. Well, yeah, terrorism and Islam. Uh, many people think Islam is getting out of hand. Well, wow. radical Islam, that is. Uh, the official uh, position of the country is, of course, uh, towards uh, the uh, religious tolerance and stuff like that. Uh, just this week, Putin uh, have opened the Europe's greatest uh, mosque in Moscow. 
many Muslims from all over the Russia and abroad came there. All the center of Moscow has been closed. Uh, nobody could get to work because of that. There were policemen every two meters mm. of the roads. All the subway, well, many of the subway se- uh, stations were closed. So, so it's not uh, an institutionalized uh, stance yes. against Islam. It's it's yes. po- portions of the population that are uh, yes uh, the, uh, extreme in their views of, of yes, Islam. Uh, yes, the official position is appeasing Muslim, uh, giving them what they want, uh, and uh, making peace between religions. Uh, though almost all of the government uh, elite are not Muslim, but uh, Orthodox Christians. uh, Christmas is even a uh, state holiday. Mm. Well, Orthodox Christmas, the 7th of January. Right, right. Uh, Yes. So so I think what you're what you're trying to to get at is that while the official stance is of you know tolerance and acceptance uh there is a a, a sentiment within the population that that isn't is that what yeah. you're what you're saying uh yes uh and there always has been uh mm, uh so I'm, I'm just yes. I, I'm having a hard time understanding oh, if I'm it sorry. is uh, no 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 it's fine I'm just uh, I'm not sure if I understand correctly are you saying basically it is uh, prejudiced uh, well not racist because it's religion but are you saying it is uh, a period anti-Muslim or is it really a uh, you know terrorist and and extremist Islamism is should be fought and they are vehement about that or is it just they don't like muslims um all of that there are strong, okay. <laughs> uh, there, there are people with uh, there are many people with strong opinions in all of these areas hmm. there are uh, uh well i guess that's is... the same story all over yeah. europe and the world but uh it's it's more it's stronger in russia it, it uh, seems it is stronger uh, when uh, the Things were hotter in Donetsk. Uh, there were camps in Moscow uh, getting volunteers and uh, money for them okay. to fight. So I guess those people might get doing some recruiting for other cause, okay. like fighting in Syria. So that's actually something that, uh, as I was saying, has been discussed in the sense that now we sort of need to try and help uh, Assad because there is no way we're going to be able to defeat ISIS without, you know, having support in the region, which, of course, is completely ironic because Assad was on the verge of being toppled a few years ago with the uh, follow up to the Arab Spring. Um before we move on, Brian, is there any uh, possibility that the U.S. would get involved in a war? Um, you know, I don't know about sending troops, but some kind of retaliation in Syria and Iraq? Well, I mean, we already have uh, planes are uh, doing missions against ISIS, uh, flying out of Turkey and, uh, you know, the Middle East there. I don't think they're flying out of Jordan, but Jordan is flying their own planes. You know, it's in the Middle East countries there, flying their own planes. Uh, I like the, 
I, I kind of like the characterization of the uh, Russian troops being volunteers, uh, the volunteers <laughs> who, who just happen to know how to fly Sukhoi 27s, MiG 29s, Sukhoi 25s, uh, man air defense we, batteries, you know. <laughs> we have military instructors there. I guess they teach Syrians to do the stuff. Right. Yeah, they're not flying those planes. That the Syrians are not flying those planes. I mean, they don't fly the. How do you know? Have you seen the pilots' corpses? Well, not yet. <laughs> are you going to? <laughs> well, I mean, so basically, if we were Pierre, if we were to say, "Yeah, they're volunteers," wink, wink, and you know, it's actually a. Uh, the, the, this is all being handled by the actual Russian army, which I think is is a, not an uncommon sentiment in in the West. Uh, would you, as a Russian, say, "Oh, that's crap. That's Western propaganda, and these are actually volunteers"? W- would that be your the sentiment that you would uh, feel? Well, uh, as a Russian, I do strongly feel uh, feel we might have. Uh, regular troops there with special missions, as Brian said. Okay. Uh, uh, well, but, but at least we are sup- uh, we are there in support of the official government. Right, right. But you you wouldn't be you wouldn't be surprised if there was actually, in spite of the official line of we don't have any troops there doing missions, you wouldn't be surprised if there were actually mm-hmm. troops. Mm, would you? No, I wouldn't. Okay. And I guess nobody would. Yeah. All right. All right. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're this is the official word of the government and it is the truth. And, you know, um, this is what the truth comes out of uh, Vladimir Putin's mouth and everyone believes it as such. The official truth of the government is what has to be said politically. Mm. I guess everyone understands that uh, nobody's here for good reasons. Every country is there for some sort of geopolitical reason, which cannot be usually morally judged. Okay, that's that's interesting, actually. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, Syria is still a mess, and this whole situation is a mess, and I guess there is no way of getting out of it in any dignified manner. Um, so we'll see how it keeps evolving. Um Brian, let's move on to uh, what everyone has actually been waiting for. Uh, Can you please, again, explain to us what the hell is happening in your country and in your party, in the Republican Party? What's this this mess? And is it considered a mess or is it just from Europe, you know, we just look at Trump and think, wow, that's a clown? Yeah, you know, know, Trump is just, uh, you know, he's going to do a great job. Uh, he is going to be number one uh, on everything he does, and he's going to do it so fast to make your head spin. Uh, that's pretty much what he says about everything. Okay. So. <laughs> but yeah, so but I mean, is he taken seriously? In in it's very difficult to get a reading on how people actually approach the the you know Trump as a political candidate. Is he amusing? Is he, you know, people uh, are taking him seriously. You, you have to take him seriously at this point because he is leading the polls at twenty five percent. Which I mean, it's very early. the 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 first caucus in Iowa is not till February, so there's a lot of time in between. There will be more debates 
going on. So it is it is a little too early to kind of say uh, you know the the chicken's cooked, but um, he is. You have to take him seriously. I mean, uh, whether you like him or you don't, uh, I don't really care for him personally. I uh, just I really don't even think he's a Republican to be honest. But a lot of people do take him seriously. So just from that alone, you have to, uh, you know, have to address him, uh, you know, in a serious way. Whether he takes it seriously himself or not is the question, you know. So, but I guess, again, we're not really close to it. So I'm not sure exactly how it's, it's how serious this is. Like, it is a serious situation leading the polls. This is kind of an unbelievable uh, situation for us because some of the things he said, most notably, you know, the thing about uh, Mexican immigrants who are rapists and whatever and come in this country and, and wreak havoc. Yeah, he just kind of latches onto that issue. You know, uh, he latched onto that issue. Uh, you know, there was a there was a woman. But, uh, sorry, in sorry Texas. to interrupt. Sorry to to interrupt, Brian, but I don't want to gloss over that thing because it crystallizes. The problem, not the problem, but the, the question that we all ask, which is if someone was to say something like this in in Europe, it, he would be immediately, you know, even our far right more. Yeah. Well, it's not even about it being hate speech. It's that no one could stand besides him in anywhere. Everyone would actually condemn him, condemn him very firmly. And it's kind of a mystery that this is not happening in Uh, the U.S. Well, I, a lot of people have condemned him for that. Uh, it's just, you know, he talks about building a wall. And, you know, I had been in the Border Patrol, uh, you know, before. And uh, so I'm pretty familiar with the immigration issue and uh, and everything. And uh, the things that he talks about in regards to immigration to me aren't realistic. Um, you can't build a wall all the way across. I mean, the fence, you know, better fence does work in certain areas and but you can't it's not practical to do it all the way i mean there's just you know he can he says that stuff and it just what he's doing is just ginning up uh support ginning up uh people's uh emotions uh regarding it because it is an issue that people like how is he getting it how is he getting that support when he's saying such outrageous things i guess is my The, the, the he's whole tapped thing into I a certain anger. He, I think that this is what everybody's saying. He's he's tapped into a certain anger. There's a you know an, an undercurrent that, uh, and it's just not about uh, immigration. That's a, a part of it, of course. But he's tapped into this anger, and uh, you know that people have been building up. You know, it's all these years under Obama. But you, you can also, I can also look at the Democrats and see that there's a something of that too with Bernie Sanders' support. You know, being higher than anyone thought it would be. So there's certain things, but I, you can already see, you know. Trump's support has started going down. The debates, you know, when they start talking about actual issues uh, and getting into the weeds about, uh, you know, foreign, you know, foreign policy in the last debate, you know, when it came to discussing foreign affairs, he was silent for like 27 minutes <laughs> in the debate. You know, he, you know, I'm going to have the best administration, I'm going to have the best secretary of state and make your head spin. I mean, that's pretty much what he says about, you know, stuff that he doesn't know too much about. He just generalizes and, uh, You know, uses superlatives. So, so you think he's not going to uh, his support is not going to stay that high for when th when push comes to shove and when the actual uh, primaries start? You think his his numbers are going to start going down because pe people are going to start 
thinking seriously about the issue or about yeah, I think, the election? I think, so. I think there's an amusement factor right now. You know, we don't have to get too serious about it right now, but when it starts coming, getting to it, I mean, I think there will still be people that will, you know, be for him. Uh, but I think in the most part, like, you know, people, most of my friends that I know, you know, they, they're amused by him. Uh, you know, they, they you know, they kind of, la- you know, uh, find it interesting. And uh, the one positive I can say is that he has, increased our awareness you know he has he has brought the spotlight onto onto the race i mean you just can't deny that he's brought a lot of attention to it and uh you know because at this point like last time there you know there was you know scant attention paid uh but now everybody's talking about it. everybody you know even on both sides republicans and democrats are you know are a lot more interested and a lot more into it than they were the last cycle <laughs> so it takes a clown to bring attention to the to the the election and now uh, ultimately it might be a good thing maybe he is he is a promoter i mean my uh mm. i always like to i like to equate him to henry hill from the music man you know i'm just uh you know he's like that uh consummate kind of con man coming in there you know getting everybody riled up we're gonna build a band uh and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know and uh and that's and then you know that when it comes down to it it's like i I think he'll be like, well, this is a little bit more than I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned in passing Bernie Sanders, which I I, I just want to address quickly. Um, Looking at him from here, he seems like the most grounded, realistic politician there is. And, and, you know, taking issues, looking at what works, which is something that I don't think politicians do a lot, looking at what works everywhere and trying to apply lessons uh, from, um, you know, what he's learned in a very practical, non-politician way. Um, And I'm, I'm surprised that he is not being regarded as more of a genuine uh, uh, candidate and more of as a, you know, the outsider, the previously independent guy who, yeah, he doesn't really have any chance. And, you know, now he's higher in the polls than would have been expected. So people are paying attention to him. Um, Well, I take him a lot more serious than I take Trump. Uh, You know, Bernie has been a senator for a while. Uh, he, you know, I don't agree with much that he says, but I, and I've watched a couple of town hall that before he got involved into the race, I've watched a couple, couple of town hall meetings he's had, and, uh, he is a plain spoken guy and he's sincere. And I think, uh, and he's a sincere guy. I mean, he believes this stuff that he says. And I think, and I think that's, that comes over. And I think that's why a lot of Democrats have gravitated toward him. And to be honest, there's no, I don't sense any enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. I mean, she's in trouble right now uh, with her, with the email scandal. And to be honest, I don't think she's going to make it uh, to the race. Yeah. I don't, I don't think not considering, like I said, when I was in the army, I was an intelligence when I was in the army and I had a top secret clearance and the stuff that she did uh, in regards to classified information, uh, I would have been in jail. (laughs) I've been 10 years, 10 years in prison and, you know, Fort Leavenworth. You know, for me, if I had done that, and uh, so you mean her, her using her personal email to uh, to communicate classified information? Correct. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, there's a whole strata of things that you have to know, and even though they say, "Oh, well, it wasn't marked," well, it doesn't matter. If a lot of times, if it's marked, you have to know that that information is classified. You when you you need to recognize that it's classified, and 
and secure it when mm. she didn't do that and her aides didn't do that her lawyers you know it's just it's going to be i think it's going to be a lot more involved when you get down to it uh, mm. but the fbi is going to take their time and it's going to be a few months but i think before we actually get anything from it isn't it, it a capital offense in states no but it's the thing is, is that just like they've confirmed two of the emails she had had top secret information uh, and that's really serious um The, the agencies that generated that information say it was they were top secret from the get-go. They were top secret code word. And uh, that's, like I said, the, you disseminating that, or that's each offense is 10 years, $10,000 fine. That's the way they, I, I, mean, so I had signed many forms. I had to go to briefings, and every time you go somewhere, they brief you. Um, it's a, you know, it's a big deal, you know, when you're in that community, you know. You know, it's actually, I think, Well, some of what comes out of this is, well, she's not going to go in prison. I think it would, I would be very surprised if she, if she did. And it's kind of the, those politicians are all fake and privileged and all of this. And what comes pretty, you know, strongly from both Trump and from Sanders as in, in very different ways is that they are, what you were saying, they're genuine. You know, they're not embarrassed by the, political, you know, correctness and their actual people for good or for bad. Um, I would say for good for Sanders and for um, extravagance for, for Trump. He just says it just the way it is. Maybe that is what is uh, uh, making them so popular. And, and maybe that's something that the actual politicians should get a, take a lesson from. I think it's a bad, I think that's a big part of it. I, like I said, I think it's that kind of, and a lot of people say that about Trump. Oh, he's not PC. He says what he's saying. And same thing with Sanders. Sanders is, you know, he he's an independent. He's not even like he's not even like a member. He's not even the Democrat Party. He's an independent. He's running as a Democrat, but he's always had his independent voice. That's one thing I can say for Bernie. You know, I've kept, you know, I always knew who he was. You know, I'm I'm interested in politics, and uh, he's that's the guy. You know, you know, so you can go and look back videos of his town hall meetings with his constituents, and that's the guy. And, know, and they, he goes to work on the on on the public transportation, and you know all of those silly little stories that I think now bear weight because all of the others feel there's definitely disenfranchisation with politics, and I think in in Europe as well. Um, there's so for all of them, and I think it's been it's always been true. Of that, ah, oh, they're politicians, they lie through their teeth and they're, you know, they're fake and whatever. But it hasn't been as true as it is today. And that might be why the far right parties are rising everywhere in Europe is because they, uh, well, it feels like it might be because they're at least uh, saying something. You're not sitting through like hours of babbling that doesn't mean anything that is just political speak. Um, well, how's uh, how's Marine Le Pen doing? She had a little blowout with her dad recently, didn't she? Yeah, that, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, it's it's yeah, as, as you were saying, basically the dad who was the founder of the far right party, the National Front in France, uh, was ousted from the party he founded by his daughter, and he wanted to found another party, and it was a, a complete implosion. I mean, I don't think ultimately it's far, the, the elections are far away enough that she's still going to be very strong. Um, but she personifies that, uh, 
that sentiment as well. Although I, I will say that, you know, she would never say something as outrageous as uh, Trump would. Never. She would be laughed out of the country if she said something like that. Um, she is definitely far right. And she talks about, you know, what we can do for French people and the, the, the country and like in a way that is nationalistic for sure. But she would never say anything as outrageous as what Trump says. Yeah, so. Trump. Well, Trump's a showman. I mean, he had a TV show. I mean, he's a living yeah. reality show. <laughs> what, what, is that making any noise, uh, Pierre, in Russia? Is Trump, uh, you know, making the headlines in, in Moscow? Sometimes he does. Um, well, the last time I've seen a line about him was uh, that he was raped to death in South Park. Ah, <laughs> I haven't seen that South Park episode. But, yes, he was. Uh, I've heard. I've heard about it. Uh, is that how? I mean, free speech. That's you know, if you can't fault America for for not having free speech, but. Uh, I guess yeah it's it they make fun of everyone on South Park so uh, but uh yeah so he's not he's not he does come around in in Russia uh, but it's not like yeah he does come around and of course um who gonna be the president of our arch enemy is most important to us <laughs> how much, how serious is that joke of our our arch enemy Well, it <laughs> thirty-two is percent. <laughs> uh, it is pretty serious uh, in uh, a huge chunk of the population. Actually, like something like eighty percent. Well, some say it less uh, seriously, but. We do not like when we are being schooled by other countries. We do not like when we are being told what to do by other countries. I guess most countries don't like that. And when uh, the Europe with America on the front lines are trying to tell us what we should do and what we shouldn't and trying to punish us for what we are doing and stuff like that. What is it? Kindergarten. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's, I mean, that is a sentiment that I'm, I'm feeling more and more uh, as, as I learn more about Russia. It's the Russian pride is incredibly strong and, It's it's perfectly okay for well it's it's okay for that's my sentiment tell me if I'm wrong Pierre but it's okay for a Russian to criticize Russia but if someone from outside of the country says something about Russia then everyone turns around at the same time and goes like who the hell do you think you are in in Russian mm. <laughs> is that is that a fair uh, characterization uh, mm. Almost. It's okay if others say stuff about us, as long as they respect us and do not act without that respect. I think the definition of respect 
uh, in different cultures might have been the the reason the for more. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's probably the 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 starting uh, the 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 factor that has started the most wars in the history of the world. Um, all right, um, very quickly you wanted to mention so something that i'm curious about it's there's a national debate apparently in russia about the possibility of raising the minimum age it's uh, not it's not a national debate uh russia ha is and always has been uh, a fairly drinking country uh, mostly because of the cold it's the same in finland yeah I, yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there is an act uh, from the Communist Party to raise uh, the allowed age to buy alcohol. Uh, sorry, very quick uh, side question. How popular is the Communist Party in, in Russia now? It holds something like 10% of the, par 10 of the parliament. Okay, that's that's not it's, bad, but it's not. It's pop. It's popular with the old people. Uh, <laughs> that's but, pretty incredible. Uh, in, in all of Western of Eastern Europe, it's there are so many people who are nostalgic of the communist era. It's very strange. But anyway, sorry, keep going. They forget so they about the bread lines. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, Gorbachev is pretty much hated by all the. <laughs> no, not 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 only the old people. Why do they hate Gorbachev? Oh, lots of reasons. Uh, the most common line is that he uh, split the Soviet Union. He broke it. Ah. But there were many reasons. Uh, it is said that he was uh, too much under his wife's wing that he tried to uh, cover up the Chernobyl story uh, right after the Chernobyl. Uh, they had, um, uh, he has ordered for the uh, 1st of May demonstrations. It's a parade where people go to the streets uh, because the 1st of May is the day, is the workers' day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Labor uh, Day. Yeah, Labor Day. Sorry. Uh And uh, his own wife led children from Chernobyl schools on the demonstration. Nobody was evacuated at first. Uh, they tried to hush it up. It's also mm. an issue with the people who heard it and saw it. That's funny. And I think in, in the West, uh, Gorbachev was is regarded as the person who started uh well the the opening of the soviet Wait. union and and the breaking up of the eastern bloc but um well he is regarded as uh the western porn in that issue the, the uh, western porn what do you mean by porn porn oh porn okay okay, okay. <laughs> all right uh, okay uh, so let, let's let's go back to the um alcohol yeah. thing so you want to yeah. raise the minimum age Yeah, they want to raise the minimum age. Uh, they claim they're thinking about uh, children, their purity, that they're not yet developed when they're 18, and they are developed uh, when they are 21, as they think, or something like that. Uh, well, 
it is a healthy position, but uh, then they should have raised the conscription, the minimum cons- conscription age to the army as we well. Have, <laughs> yeah, we, we have man- we have mandatory one year of army service when we are eighteen, and that age is not being raised. Yeah, I think it's yeah. uh, uh, it's an we, issue everywhere. Yeah, we're uh, children enough uh, not to buy alcohol, but we are not children uh, children already, so we can go fight or mm. something. And so, okay, so it's just for health reasons. I I had heard something about uh, the the price of alcohol being so low that people were getting drunk. Or oh no, uh, that the economy was so low that they wanted to lower the price of alcohol so people could get drunk. Is, <laughs> is that some kind of an urban legend? It, uh, I guess, it is an urban legend or an anecdote. Uh, the price of alcohol for people who want to get drunk and don't care much about what they drink is quite low. Already, about, <laughs> uh, yeah, already it's about. 50 rubles for a bottle of vodka, or maybe less. Mm. Uh, 50 rubles, for those who do not know, now amounts to something like 80 cents, American cents. Wow, that's cheap liquor. Um, All right, Brian, do you want to talk about uh, Uber finally getting in Vegas? Uh, For those who don't know, you you live in Las Vegas, and uh, there's an extraordinary taxi lobby in Vegas that fought Uber tooth and nail, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, our uh, our state legislator legislature uh, meets every other year, and just, they just had their session and uh, ended in June this year, and they passed a law right before they left that uh, allowed for the ride-sharing programs like Lyft and Uber to be legal. And uh, starting this month, uh, they started uh, Uber and Lyft started operations, but our county here... Uh, said they wouldn't list, issue them their county business licenses because they're not prepared yet uh, to do that. Um, and it's just it's just really kind of a political thing that the taxi lobby is, you know, they want to delay Uber and Lyft as much as they can here. Uh, the thing in Vegas is, is that taxi drivers are not well liked by the locals here uh, because they operate on the hotels and they never pick up locals. It's very difficult to get a taxi here if you're a local. Oh, that's why. Oh, yeah. They hate we we do not like them because if if you know your car breaks down or something, uh, if you need to get a taxi, you need to call at least an hour ahead of time. You're going to be waiting well over an hour and there's many taxis, but they'll, and they get mad at you. Like if you go onto the strip and see a show, maybe you had a little too much to drink. You want to get a cab home. Uh, a lot of cabbies, they do not like that. And some will not take you. They'll, what? cause they want to get the quick fares on the strip. And, uh, oh, and they, they also don't want to take you back work. out of the, right. out of the That's strip. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Cause they, you know, they'll be gone a while and they'll lose money the way they see it. And they also rip off tourists a lot. There's this, there's this route they take from the airport called, and it goes underneath the runway, and they long haul people, and it's been going on for years. So, uh, a lot of locals like myself just pretty much say, "Well, you, you guys kind of had it coming." Uh, you know, there's no sympathy. You know, at least now Uber, you know, you have especially like with senior citizens or something like that, they need a ride to the doctor. Uh, Uber's going to be good for them. You know, I think, it, and it's going to be an overall positive for our community. 
You know, it's it's something that uh, Las Vegas and Paris can have in common now. Our, our dislike for taxis and our love for Uber, in spite of regulations and lobbies. <laughs> yeah, I've been keeping up on the Paris story. That's Actually, that's been in the uh, Wall Street Journal. They've been uh, keeping up on that story about how how Uber's going. Uh, and like I said, the, the county here has fined uh, uh, Uber drivers uh, and Lyft drivers for picking up at the airport. Uh, but Uber says, oh, we'll pay all the fines. <laughs> yeah, <know>? so. <laughs> there's there's a little bit of that for sure. Uh, Uber being cocky and, and just asking, doing things and asking for uh, forgiveness or permission afterwards. Uh, but it's been working out for them. I mean, certainly there are things that are, let's say, unsavory, but... Um, well, they got pretty serious with Uber in Paris, haven't they? They they brought those two execs in and you know read them the riot act. We're going to jail them, and it's like wow, yeah, they're they're <laughs> going on on trial fairly soon. It's it's very serious, very serious. But uh, that's the power of the taxi lobbies for you. Um, also, the fact that you know, well, it's it's a whole discussion. But I think the problem is there is a real uh, demand for for that kind of service and. The question isn't, is it going to disappear? You know, can they squash it? Because they can't. Um, if they squash that one, it will reappear in another form. Um, but the, the big question now is, can they make it so it becomes uh, uh, well integrated administratively and that they are taxed as they should be so that the state sees, you know, the green um, from that business as they would expect to? Uh, that's something they've been doing with uh, Airbnb and they, for a bunch of reasons, it's a different business, but they've been finding agreements with Airbnb and it's working out. Um, but with Uber, it's a much bigger conversation. Um, but I think hopefully they're realizing that this is not going to go away. Um, Uber or services like it is here to stay and they have to deal with that or they will be left behind. So um Yeah. Yeah, I think the genie's out of the bottle on that. I think uh I think Uber and Lyft uh they've proved that there's a demand for it and I think there's there is yeah. and there's there's at least niche markets that haven't been served by taxis and uh you know, I I can envision a whole, you know, that they could both work together, you know, you know, they could both coexist, I should say. Yeah. But um but they uh it's just it's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's like, you know, I liken it to, to uh, music sharing on the internet a little bit. Uh, you can, I remember when uh, the, the music industry squashed uh, Napster in the early 2000s, they thought they had won. They were like, yes, now Napster's gone, problem solved. The, you know, we're, we're, we, we, whew, we dodged that bullet. And of course, the music sharing came back and the legal download it came back uh, until they finally addressed the core the the root of the issue which was that need and technologically uh technology made these things possible so they had to make it work with those uh new needs that had been created and it seems like this is it's the same issue here with uh Uber ultimately There's something that is rendered possible because the situation has changed and trying to get those many cats back in the bag is not going to work out. So, No, I think the, that's a good analogy with the music industry. Uh, they didn't, 
they shut down Napster, thought they won, and then uh, Steve Jobs came in and started up iTunes, and they're like, "What?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think no, it, it was even before that they they started again with uh, Emule and Genutella and all of those, and that's when you know when Steve Jobs arrived, he was like, "All right, listen, everyone's stealing music. Do you want to try and sell some at least?" And they're like, "Uh, yes, please." And that's well. You know, that was on the back of the iPod too, so yeah, he was driving it from both ends. Yeah, so he, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You mean with yeah, of course. So was, they could have the record industry. They could have just said they could have bought Napster and said, "Hey, we're going <laughs> to charge ninety nine cents," and they'd be you know sitting in the you know sitting pretty now, but yeah. you know. Oh, you could have. What you're saying is that the taxi lobbies should buy Uber. I they get could. it. Yeah. Well, it would cost them a lot of money. It I don't think a lot you know too much now. Yeah. Yeah. Is is Uber and ride sharing uh, a, a thing in in Russia, Pierre, or is it did, did it not make it there? I don't even know what it is. Oh my God! You don't? <laughs> no, I don't. The 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 <laughs> app. Have, we still have common taxes right here. Are, are are you seriously? You don't know what Uber is? Well, I can check the Russian <laughs> Google Store Play Market. Uh, uh, no, I mean it's it's uh, it's basically an app that lets you um, call a, a car, which is kind of like a taxi, but it's usually nicer cars and it's drivers driving. Around. It's like taxis, except you call them with an app. And the the big contention comes from the fact that most cities have permits for taxis. Uh, and and those um, Uber cars don't have those permits because they're not technically taxis. They're just uh, cars that you reserve in advance, except with the app, you can reserve them when you need it and they're going to come to your place. So that in advance portion effectively disappears. And so that's why it's more practical than taxis, but they're not actually taxis um and the taxis are obviously angry because their per permits are very expensive uh, to pay so they have competition from people who are um don't have to pay the permits and the licenses uh but are at least as efficient as the taxis and usually a lot nicer you have the follow the the um, route you took that's recorded and sent to you and there they come and open the door for you they have you know they wear a suit they their cars are super nice so yeah that's what uber is so you, you don't have that well i see it and some russian reviews in play market but uh, as far uh, well since i haven't heard about of it it's not that popular yeah that's that's surprising because it's uh Basically, if it was uh, very, you know, if it was being used in the same way that it is in in the West, uh, you would have heard about it because it's it's a main one of the main issues in the news um, for a year. It's been coming back every so often. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Maybe they haven't officially launched in uh, in Russia yet, but. Um. All right. I think that is going to be it for our show. Um, thank you very much, guys, for, for being on. Um, well, thank you for having me. I, I will uh, yeah, ask thanks. both of you um, if you have a something to promote on, on the web. Do you have a Twitter account? Do you have something you want to uh, let our listeners know about? Uh, let's Not start with time, Brian. No. 
No, no you're no. not on Twitter, Brian. I am on Twitter. You know I'm on Twitter. I know. <laughs> but okay, it's just it's just uh, Brian, the conservative guy from Vegas. Pretty much. Um, yeah. And Pierre, do you have a Twitter account? I mean, I know well, you do. But... Yes, I do have a Twitter account at uh, Lisa T Y L E L W E S A. But I don't write much in it. Ah, oh, that's since, so sad. Si since the last time I have started doing it in English. So oh. Yes, uh, but still not much to write about. All right. Yeah, I see. I just went to your Twitter account and I see that the last one was from September 23rd and the one before August 10th. So, yeah, not a lot. Get on Twitter. Twitter is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, not Patrick on Facebook. Um, and I was talking about um, the, the, the fact that I wanted to do those special episodes. Um, people who are patrons of the, of the show, uh, first of all, thank you so much. Um, it's at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Um, and I have one of the goals on the Patreon, which was to do special episodes once a quarter. Um, and I think I, we haven't reached the goal yet, but I think I want to start doing those special episodes at least once a quarter, maybe even more, um, to get one person and a one-on-one -on -one discussion to try and... Um, Uh, find out more about the way they live, what they do, their their country, their culture. And I think I'm going to try and start this series with our good friend Turkey, who isn't here on the show today. But uh, I actually met for the first time um, a few days ago. He was in Paris with his lovely wife. And we have been, you know, doing shows together for, I don't know, at least five years And we had never met. And it was such an awesome emotional moment to actually meet him. Um, it was very, very nice. He was, of course, as obnoxious in real life as he is on the show, uh, which <laughs> I enjoyed. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we discussed it. And I think I'm going to be doing that first special episode with him. Hopefully it will be out in September. Uh, that's the plan anyway. So um, and I'll keep doing that. I think the the, the show, The Fidesz Club, deserves a little bit more attention than I had been um, giving it until now um, for you know a bunch of reasons. I was starting as a podcaster and it wasn't easy, but now I'm sort of in the the rhythm of things uh so i want to try and do a little bit more with this show hopefully um you will enjoy this dear listeners um and of course if you want to support the show patreon.com slash the phileas club uh you can comment on the show on frenchspin.com which is the the site where i host all of my um shows i do in english uh, and of course twitter not patrick you can come and tell us what you thought of this episode there as well uh, again thank you so much to brian and to pierre for having been on this uh east versus west episode uh, there wasn't nearly as much uh fighting and arguing as i would have hoped but you know it will have to do and well, either we way can keep going you know can <laughs> turn it up a notch if you like. yeah Let, let's try it and and rile things up a little bit let's talk about uh, what should we talk about um spying yeah <laughs> let's do that <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe next time. Uh, it, it, so anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, with a regular episode in a month and hopefully with, uh, hopefully with a special one uh, before that. Uh, talk to you then and have a good time. Hug people you love. 
it was my birthday and that was my my request for my birthday about uh, uh five days ago hug people you love is what i say bye everyone Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.